Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. It's a really special day here on Cloud and Clear. You can see by the sign. Yes. We're in a completely different space, a new space. And I'm so happy that it's you, Brandon Young, who is breaking <laughs> breaking the studio in. So welcome it, to Cloud and Clear. Thank you. It's been like what well, we've known each other almost a decade now. So yeah. this is this is fun to come see. Obviously, how y'all evolve uh, day in day out. Seeing you guys some some great press and um, love and working with Sada for all those years, and also just to see you guys evolve a ton yeah. uh, from first days when you were working and I was at Google, and all the way through now uh, over at GitLab. So. Congratulations, VP of Alliances at GitLab. Thank you. And you're also on the board of the Linux Foundation. Yes. So open source fan? Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're pretty belligerently open source, <laughs> uh, and and uh, both the we've we've gotten so much as a as a company. We leverage open source everywhere. Yes. Uh, we also have a a very strong um, commitment to always keep uh, GitLab open source for people to use however they would want. Uh, and so that's going to continue to be uh, a big piece. And then obviously with the Linux Foundation, there's a lot going forward. And we, um, we engender to be as big a steward, as, as good a steward as we can of both uh, of the code, but of the culture and of everything else uh, that has to move forward to make open source work. It's, uh, it's an amazing place, but it's, it's not, it takes a lot of work. Certain people, I think, you know, move and, and sort of migrate in their careers and end up in certain places where you're like, that is precisely where Brandon should be. <laughs> so it, it's amazing it, to, to witness from my standpoint as well. Like, it's amazing. It, it has been, uh, I mean, the journey has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, the journey with Google was wonderful. Uh, and in fairness, I, I, I sort of got to cheat because working with hundreds of partners, uh, an amazing team at Google, I did have an opportunity to work with enough partners like, oh, now that one is really interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and the funny part about the story is I, I take... Usually, well, I take a lot of pride in really understanding the technical details uh, as best I can behind uh, companies and industries and, and all of that. And uh, the part actually I knew with GitLab was I sat down with uh, our CEO uh, for a different subject. He goes, hey, let me show you what, what we're doing. And I didn't know half of what GitLab did. Yeah. And I'd been working with them in a lot of detail. I'm like, okay. So I love what you were doing before, and there's 50% more here that I just learned about, and I thought I was I thought I was pretty good about knowing what was going on, yeah. which means you guys are going at a rapid pace that is a ton of fun, and so I uh, have jumped in there. It's been a blast for the last two years. No, look, GitLab is definitely one of those celebrated uh, stories in the ecosystem, in the open source community, in this world where kind of, you know, software eats everything, right? Yeah, software eats everything. The question is what software eats what software at this point, right? <laughs> right. Right. And it's just incredible the last decade plus. I mean, we've been partnering with Google what, for 14 years. So a big part of that journey was when we met you at the very, very, uh, very early stages of GCP mm -hmm. and yes. really kind of the app engine days. And, um, you know, you were kind of you know, put in charge of that at the time. And we we're trying to figure out how it's going to play into our broader Google enterprise strategy where, Back then, it was really rooted in just G Suite, and then yep. Maps was taken off for us. And um, I'm really glad that we've been able to kind of figure it out. And um, 
GCP now, I think this year will become our biggest business. Yep. Which is exciting. Uh, it's, um, it's in fuego, so there's but, no question. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but the way that, again, certain people enter your life and even though they leave like your, your sort of near uh, uh, atmosphere, mm-hmm. they go into a different orbit and they continue to influence you in my life. So that's you. Thank you. And GitLab and the most recent and most meaningful ways has nothing to do with a commercial relationship, mm-hmm. even though that's, that's, that's awesome as well. But it's really about uh, the cultural influence. Mm-hmm. So quick brief, I think, and you know this, but Miles came, came on board from Google and he was like, we're, we're growing past 150 people. We have to start writing things down. <laughs> it's a that's a big inflection point yes yeah and seems it, simple it's not that simple yeah and it's like you know the whole definition of uh larger groups working together in this bigger construct called civilization which is kind of where seven thousand years ago writing started right that's yep. we can point to that time and say that's when civilization truly started and it was kind of a uh aha moment for me because we like we love going fast and you know uh just kind of trying things and making 80% decisions, that kind of stuff. But as we started to become more distributed mm-hmm. as an organization and started to do things more sort of um, uh, even faster, but we had to be more precise. Like, how do you how do you achieve that? And he pointed me to GitLab's open source company handbook, all 3,000 pages of it. Yes. And I think that's when I contacted you and said, hey. Hey, what is, hey, how's, how's this working? And yes, yeah. it's been, um, that is one of the things we take the most pride. So contact, yeah, our, our handbook was started way back when by the founders, by Sid and all the founders. And it was, a lot of it was driven just by necessity. So first off, the company's fully remote. So that necessitates a level of writing things down that you wouldn't necessarily get if you were in the same place. Uh, started out with, you know, one founder is Dutch and one, the other is Ukrainian. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you got a culture or you've got a language question. Right. And, uh, and so the process just really started on, Hey, before we have a conversation, take the time and write it down. And, mm-hmm. um, and this practice exists in other places Definitely. in different formats. So yeah. it's not, I mean, it's not particularly unique, uh, but the discipline of writing it down first and then sharing what was written down, uh, that has changed for me also just in coming to GitLab in the last two years of, I get on a call and the first thing question is, so what's been written down? Right. And that wasn't my, uh, that wasn't how I operated really in the past. No, it's not how Google worked. No, it's not how Generally, Google worked. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and didn't, doesn't need to as much. It's, it's very centralized uh, mm-hmm. from, from a, a decision-making standpoint. And, and so it's doable in different ways. Uh, we just were fully distributed and had to go down that path. I've definitely drank the Kool-Aid, but it is way more efficient. Yes. Uh, and it's a lot more inclusive. I could not agree more. And there's there's so many magical things that it opens up and, and makes possible. I think this whole concept of asynchronous communication. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't all have to be in the same room at the same time. You're talking about a globally distributed organization, different time zones. Yep. But the fact that we can work on a document, and you guys are a big Google Doc shop That's been as a well. huge piece, yeah. yeah. Google Suite all yeah. across the board. Yeah. Although the amount of email that I now do is frighteningly small, which is awesome. Yeah. No, it's amazing because you spend, instead of, uh, you know, 100 emails back and forth, you're working on one document. Right. Decisions are crisp, new processes, new products, whatever. These things can be born out of this hyper-collaborative, but documentation-centric approach. And we've definitely embraced that. 
I think we could do a better job and we will over time. But every time somebody wants to talk about anything now, I'm like, here's a format of what we use to document things. Start here. Yep. Don't send me a bunch of emails. Yes. And you'll, uh, if you watch, uh, and I learned this day one with uh, working with Sid and with leadership as, yeah. you know, Sid's comment, uh, we're hyper transparent as well. So everything is public. Yeah. And so I would have a conversation and the first question Sid always will ask. And again, culture comes from the top down is, hey, have you made this shareable and can everyone at the company see it? And not just everyone at the company, but if at all possible, everyone in the world. And there's a few times you can't, but sure. make it fully. We believe everyone can contribute. And if we believe that, we have to live it. And if we do it, we have to trust it. And if you do it, uh, it's been shocking how many times we've gotten amazing feedback from someone we didn't think to ask. Right. Right. It wasn't it wasn't we weren't. So I think it's one of those is from a leadership standpoint, realizing. Oftentimes I have assumptions of who has the best idea to solve a problem. And oftentimes they have great ideas, but I'm missing out on a huge number of points of view. And I'm often wrong on who the best person to ask the question is. Totally. And if yeah. I make it available, I make it something that people can find. Uh, make it something that you also culturally actively engage with when someone has a question. So there's a little bit of work there, but been awesome. How many times we find uh, great feedback from internally GitLab, from our 10,000 other external contributors. And, you know, oftentimes our competitors will mm -hmm. point out points and, yeah. you know, you can't have any shame, yeah. but if you have, if you have no shame and no pride yeah. and all you want to do is build great things for people, yeah. If someone points it out that your competitor's like, hey, that's, yeah, that doesn't broken. You've just gotten a great gift. They've given yeah. you a great gift of what you should do better. Totally. And that's just been fun. No, I, I think it's, uh, it's been necessary for you. I think aspirational for, for, for the rest of us, you know, I think to understand maybe why it was born at, at GitLab uh, and, and maybe even above and beyond the two founders being sort of from mm -hmm. different, you know, uh, backgrounds, but. Let's talk about what GitLab actually does. Oh, because sure. I think it's yes. very related <laughs> to why yes. like an open handbook makes sense. But yep. let's dig into that because to your point earlier, we we're chatting. You're like, we do a lot of things. Broadly, people have, you know, different understandings of what GitLab does. So sure. Let's talk about like what's core. And, and um, uh, I think the audience would love to benefit from that. Of course. Yeah. So uh, with the name GitLab, you can imagine probably we have something to do with Git. Yes. Uh, and that was, you know, that was our uh, our base. That's kind of what we really were for from kind of 2011 through about 2013, 2014. Source code management uh, is there's a, a number of options, but at this point, Git is 95% of new development. So yeah. if you're doing new development, it is the heart and soul of development. There's only one open source uh, provider. There's other people who use Git and wrap it up in other products. Mm -hmm. They're great products, but they're proprietary. Mm -hmm. uh, and GitLab took a perspective day one. Hey, it's going to be uh, everything we're going to do is going to be open source. Uh, and that allows for both contribution. Uh, mm -hmm. it's also, it's also a good business model. So very transparently, it's allowed for, uh, the massive adoption of GitLab, uh, across well over, uh, you know, 60, 70% of, um, uh, private development uses and leverages a piece or all of GitLab in one way or another. The good news is lots of usage. There's also times like, so that's awesome. You have 5,000 users. We had no idea that you yeah. were using it. How's it going for you? Like, oh, it's great. We'd right. like to do X. So yeah. that was, you know, a, a, a kind of a clear decision um, early on on where I uh, wanted to go. But from there, we started doing the, you kind of look at development. And development at this point for most uh, companies, if they've got an established development process, have 
anywhere between 10 and 15 different dev tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and they came and grew up through the notion of a single tool, very focused and excellent in the one area they're at. Right. Uh, the thing though is last time we checked with the developer, a developer doesn't live in one little piece of tool. Sure. They've got to live That's across right. and the better developer or the smaller your team, the more things they have to live across. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we started with added CI, Sid was said, oh, no, 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 these should stay separate. Yeah. Right. And uh, one of our developers kept pushing, said, no, 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 no. These will be better together if you put uh -huh. continuous integration with source code, because that would be your next step. Right. This is really going to be much better for customers. And Sid said, no, no. And he's like, guy kept pushing on it, kept pushing, saying, no, here's the facts. Uh, and Sid, true to form, saw the facts and changed it. Change it. And that's kind of was the genesis. And then from there, we started to grow out to doing, so we do issue tracking, we do project management, portfolio management, wow, okay. continuous delivery, security in your pipeline. And so, uh, you know, at this point we're, you know, best in class in the core development areas mm -hmm. and we continue to expand out. Uh, uh, but, you know, the goal is to be that in, is currently to be a single dev tool for a customer or a, for a developer to write your code and GitLab can do the planning, the deployment, the testing, the packaging. When you said you know, security, we were joking like the software is eating the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I think at this point, like, yes, we all agree software is eating the world. I think the question is what software is eating what software? Right. And then what are the metrics? Because that's the other part that I think struggles. Very we're really simple. One mm -hmm. metric, mm -hmm. cycle time. It matters from an idea to production. And if we can make that shorter, short as possible, short as possible, it does two things that are great. We tend to think about that rolling out new new or new applications or new features. Totally true on that case. Mm -hmm. The other thing that does though amazingly well is security, mm. because you're gonna have a security issue. You're gonna have to patch it. You're gonna have to address it. And if you have a short cycle time, your security goes through the roof. That's really what we're focused on: is just helping people focus on developing the software, kind of almost back to where. You know, App Engine, you're talking yeah. the whole idea of what App Engine, App Engine was the platform, yeah. you know, in terms of, hey, write your code, deploy it, and then it just runs. Right. And it's kind of funny. We're kind of like almost coming full circle. Yeah. Like Anthos now is like the decomposition of App Engine and the reconstitution of it in, yeah. you know, a bunch of different parts. So I'm like, right. eh, the world just keeps going in circles. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Just yeah, we no, keep reinventing look, the same ideas. We can talk about this for hours, but we're on the kind of... Uh, the forefront of really interesting, complex, bigger cloud deals, and and customers mm -hmm. are like, "Can I buy this like hardware?" Like I'm right. like, "Really?" I thought the whole thing was like consumption, and like, no, I want to buy it, buy it like hardware." So everything yes. does go in circles. Yes, yes. There's still a reason that people want to buy it. And you talk to a couple of banks, and they're like, "Yeah, I depreciate it." Yeah. Right. Forgot about that. You yeah. guys do all this depreciation stuff. It's rather important. Financial engineering, really important. I guess. Really important. Yes. It's interesting what you're you know went down the path. Of. First of all. What you said about Sid, I think, speaks volumes, which is all of us as leaders in whatever uh, leadership roles, like we're very, sometimes very certain about things yes. that we're very wrong about as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> like I've been very certain about some things and completely wrong, but not everyone has the sort of um, EQ and humility to, with new information, yes. change your mind. Yeah. Can you have strong opinions that are loosely held? And I've, I've yes. heard it said many times. Yeah. Uh, it was the reason I went to GitLab because I actually was a discussion with Sid yeah. and I brought some other data and he stopped. I was wrong right there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is what I want to learn to be. Yeah. I want to be able to listen well, hear something that's changed and be able to let go and 
and change. So I think that's in on Sid's page in the oh, handbook. Yes. Yep. And it's on mine as well. Strong opinions, loosely held. I, yes. I, I, I copied pasted quite a bit. I did a lot you of customization. Co- you should copy and paste. That <laughs> but, handbook yeah. is designed. It's 3,000 pages. Copy and paste it. <laughs> Only thing we ask is if you find something you've done better, just tell us what it is. Because yeah. we'd love to share. We'd love to, you know. Share it back. Share it back. Yeah, but, but that, that yes. attribute this is like, here's about, you know, here's about me, my strengths, my weaknesses, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Yep. Strong opinions, loosely held. Definitely made that list for me because. Yep. I think it's really important. It's good to have conviction. Yes. But it's also very important to have the ability to change your mind with new information. Yes. And it's empowering to individuals when they can. And you can even see this just in how I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this applies across the, the rest of the GitLab leadership. But it's just I, the example was clear for, to me and Sid when I was first yeah. looking at the company. But it's clear because it's empowering. You know that if you're an expert and you bring a point of view, that leadership listens. Yeah, and totally. And it delivers a message that is just... Uh, it's it's priceless in engaging people uh, in what you're trying to accomplish. And anybody with any title should be able to change your mind. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about like only my C-suite can change my mind. No, it's like no. anybody. Yes. That's really important. Going back to product for a second. So sure. the the journey that, you know, Sid eventually uh, uh, you know, stood behind, which is like we want to build the whole suite of mm-hmm. tools yep. um, and here are all the benefits. In most cases, and traditionally, and we fight this like with G Suite, for instance, which is a suite, right? Yes. There's so many examples of where users or organizations have to make a trade-off. We want best of breed mm-hmm. individual tools yep. or one suite with a bunch of compromises. So we're either compromising functionality with ease of use, cost with efficiency, all, all these trade-offs. Sure. How do you make sure at GitLab you're going to build the best of breed in the same suite. So we do a couple of things. One, um, so we ship GitLab all as it's a single application. Yeah. So that makes it somewhat easier. So you you may not use all of it. But you get it. But you get it. Okay. The second thing we do is we looked at, we do pricing in a really unique way. So we have uh, what is user-based pricing. And what we mm-hmm. mean on that, when we look at a feature, so it all ships together. And mm-hmm. we do that for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one, we want to make it easy for people to use it because again, it all comes back to the one overriding metric, yeah. which is cycle time. Yeah. So you can give that to them. Um, that's important. And it's also makes it real easy to update because as you can imagine, totally. updating and integrating eight yeah. or 10 tools, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can update, we ship every month piece I'm most proud of and kind of was shocked at. This was another one was mm-hmm. uh, about half of GitLab customers are within three minor releases. So let me kind of wow. break that out. We ship every month and half or last for 100 months in a row, mm-hmm. hundreds, 120 odd months. So if you're shipping, you're shipping like little pieces, which is great if you ship every month, but it doesn't do a whole lot of good if people don't totally take it, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have to figure out how to make it really easy for the end users to update and run it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it does help that we're a dev tool. So devs are pretty good about their toys. Right. So they like to have the new toys. They like and to have them the latest toys, stuff. Latest yeah. stuff. So, I mean, yeah. in fairness, it's not like comparing it to SAP. Yeah. <laughs> two different worlds, right? So two different user bases. Yeah. Part of it is it ships. And then what we do for features, when a feature comes through, we ask really a basic question is who's going to use this feature? Mm-hmm. And it's really, really three buckets or four buckets. It's a user. Mm-hmm. So if it's a developer, it goes into the free version. Okay. And that means 60, 70% of what we develop goes into the free version Amazing. into GitLab core. Yeah. And that's great because that means when a little team gets started, they have everything that team needs and they, can grow and then you grow GitLab. Uh, 
or it might be like a first level manager, right? So once you get a software manager, some more data you want to understand mm-hmm. how your team's doing. That's kind of level one. And then uh, and then the next level, which would be like uh, for us called premium or, or silver, that's about your uh, VP of app dev. So yeah. these are going to be complex development projects. So you're going to do portfolio management mm-hmm. or complex pipelines mm-hmm. where you have a larger number of teams. And then the final group is for your CISO. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously a place we're spending a ton of time. And that's just putting security in this notion of shift left, mm-hmm. of more and more decisions are moving towards a developer being able to make the choices. Right. That's a plus, but the minus is that that pulls away from having a, generally will pull away from your security posture. Right. So if we can help every single line of code get tested, which almost no CISO can do today, right. now you have full code coverage. And that for them is just... Amazing. Awesome. Checks and balances. Yeah. So it helps. And then it makes it really easy for as a team grows, because it also tends to go in terms of growth of a team. And if your team gets to, if you're five developers, like, I don't know how valuable the software is at five developers. Right. You're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. But when you get to 50 developers, you've made a very clear decision. Like my software is valuable mm-hmm. and hence tooling to secure it and everything else is just a natural logical progression. So I think that was a lot of how we tackled the idea of like a suite in dealing with individual pieces. Um, that said, you can integrate and use GitLab with a bunch of other tools. So uh, being open core, we took a little bit different direction. So if you're closed, you have to go the route to integrate is a marketplace. Right. There's a plus and minus to a marketplace. The plus is, okay, here's the one API and everyone has to work with it. Mm-hmm. The minus is that the actual quality of those integrations is limited to how well you build the API. Sure. And um, and also then your partners actually can't interface and create unique uh, unique integrations. Being open, I mean, you can't do it if you're not open. But mm-hmm. if you're open, then, hey, our code base is open. So if you have a great way you want to integrate, hey, we do believe everyone can contribute. Let's, let's take a look. And I spend a lot of that time with great partners that come in and say, hey, we see something great we could do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would love to. Then how do you make sure their sort of customizations don't impact your ability to do future updates? Like if they've... Yeah, I mean, if they have... So if someone has a really good... Uh, I mean, if it's a piece that gets added to the core uh, product, mm-hmm. then we'll take it and we'll maintain it, right? Oh, so we'll take it nice. and upstream it. Cool. And we have that coming from customers and from partners and from individual developers, uh, kind of for, from a lot of different places. Uh, so we'll take those and, you know, Obviously, we'll tackle security. I mean, there's a rigorous process, but so, we're yeah. very open to it and do it very regularly. So you mentioned partners, yep. your VP of alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you spend most of your time and what do you think about and who do you interface with? Yeah, so uh, I spend the majority of my time with uh, probably with the large cloud providers and with like the open source community. But mm-hmm. um, when you look at what GitLab is, uh, it's it's a great dev tool, but when it gets down to it, uh, it's helping securely put applications onto a platform, mm-hmm. whatever platform that may be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and which I, you know, Anthos being one of the, the big ones that we've invested a lot and mm-hmm. continue to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we spend a lot of time. Uh, I feel like my job is predominantly to say, hey, does it pass like the uh, the, the coffee test? And what I mean by that is, if you're doing an alliance and it requires more than literally what you can have on like a quick coffee chat to for someone to understand what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. Right. (laughs) Uh, So that sounds really overly simple, but it should be something that everyone can look at and say, that makes perfect sense. And 
uh, I spend a lot of time thinking through what our partners are trying to accomplish and how mm. do we help them get there? If they have a set value in this case, you know, with, with Google or with you all, it's like, hey, mm. helping customers put new applications, yeah. build a new application. It helps everybody. Then my goal is just to make sure that we make it easier for you all to do that, yeah. for Google to do that. Yeah. Uh, and if we can accomplish that, then, you know, we're, we're well aligned. So Alliance is really it's, key part of the strategy, like a lot of software vendors. Now, I want to go back to the culture and the sure. context of what you do. Mm-hmm. All remote. All remote, yes. Global. Outside of like proving that this is possible, <laughs> which is what GitHub is like the poster child for. What was the reasoning behind a, a, a sort of this dedication to all virtual, all distributed? Yeah, I think it would have come, it, again, everything kind of goes back to our core values. Mm-hmm. The core value, that core value that everyone can contribute is kind of where it started. And mm-hmm. the company did start, you know, pretty um, distributed. Right. I think it started there, but the the dedication to it has been, um, it also gets competitive advantage very bluntly. So we're in 64 countries. Mm. Uh, that means we can reach customers better. We have unique points of view that we're pulling from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, diversity is creativity. Diversity is cre- creativity for mm-hmm. sure. Um, no question. Also being completely uh, remote means our capital structure is people and your laptop. And mm. that is your, your, that's your capital. No structure. fancy building like no. with the logo on it. No. No, yeah, it's, it was a PO box. So, and if you want to, if you want to join our boardroom, it is in uh, Sid's. Uh, Sid's dining room is our is our boardroom. Um, so, yeah, so that was uh, that was a lot of it. Um, and uh, and then the other thing is, you it's very hard to be somewhat remote because if you're somewhat mm-hmm. remote, you end up in a situation where decisions go back to being made. Through a conversation. Yeah. Whoever's in the room right. on this day yes. is at the table. And if you're not there, yep. you forget that you're not there. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's nothing's intentional. Yeah. It's just we as human creatures operate that way. Mm. And so uh, by being 100% remote, a lot of those cultural pieces you can keep intact. Uh, mm-hmm. It also is, has become, and this was odd, a lot of people ask, so... Hey, you've hit 1,200 people. At what point are you going to an office? Because like, how do you scale the thing? But it's kind of counterintuitive because if you think about it, how often we assume, because if I sit next to, you know, Lindsay, I assume I know what Lindsay's doing. Mm-hmm. Reality of that I know what Lindsay's doing is actually quite small. Yeah. Uh, so we, we assume that uh, presence is the same as knowledge and it's not. Right. And so by being- Or productivity. Or, producti- or productivity. Not. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, same as like, do you, if, if the best person you can hire in, you know, uh, in Africa is like, that's the best person and they can do it in a four hour job. Like, great, good. Mm-hmm. You did your job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing we watch for, and I think this is actually one thing that we are learning and being really diligent about is, uh, working remote can also be easy for people to overwork just like it mm-hmm. really is anywhere, but it's harder to know necessarily where someone is. Uh, and so it takes a level, a l- very intentional management. Yeah, like time zones. Are you putting yeah. pressure on people by communicating in certain hours? I don't know, right. all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in those, so by being in one of time zones, that kind of forces that async, mm-hmm. written first communication, because you can't solve that problem particularly rigorously. And there's that, so that mm-hmm. enforces that, uh, that uh, the practice. 
So I think being the fully remote and global yeah. in some ways makes it a whole lot easier for us than it might be for someone that, like as you guys are going through this, you'll yeah. have a little bit more of a challenge because yeah. we as people, we want to go back to the face-to-face interactions totally. and and that's not bad. Now, and we do every nine months as a company, choose a space place in the world and get together. So the good news of that's having, awesome. having no corporate office means we have... You can spend the money on that. Uh, right. So we spend money yeah. to make sure that we're together. And when we get together, we focus. Uh, it's a, not a conference. So meaning like no one's got a presentation. Mm. If it's a subject that you want to talk about, burnout, great. That's mm. just an open conversation. And that's what people do. And then we try and find great places in the world that we get to expand understanding. So we'll uh, mm, that's awesome. find new places. And uh, and so that's, that's kind that's of the really shift. Cool. So yeah, we still yeah. care immensely about the people. So it isn't that it isn't personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it, it is tackling in a pretty unique way. Cause even other companies, like you said, that I, we know that are fully remote tend to, I think the next one or two have a large amount of their, their, they work off of time zones. So they might be like right. Eastern coast, East coast based time zone working, um, which again, also works well. Uh, so in some ways, I think we're probably pushing the boundaries of how it works. And yeah. it works better because it's always been that way. Right, totally. Yeah. And when you come in, you sign up for it. So yeah. it's not as if we're asking someone right. to change something. They made the decision, I want to be remote. Um, they know what the culture is. Uh, we publish so much. You can watch you know, all the yeah, videos, videos everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> spend a Content's lot of time, a little crazy. Spend a lot of time reading the handbook, <laughs> re, you know, watching those videos and the onset of our creating what we call Civ, which yep. we didn't want to just call our handbook because you took that name. So Civ you is our name for our handbook. I like Civ. I actually, yeah, we talked like about that. Yeah. I love that cool. as, a, as a theme Civ. to pull through it. Yeah. yeah. So you're right about the transition because, mm-hmm. you know, you remember us three, four years ago where like 90% of our people were sitting in North Hollywood. Yep. And uh, that was sort of part of our culture. Which mm-hmm. is like, we're here, right? Yep. Uh, one office and all that and it's all kumbaya. But then, you know, it, it wasn't like, it was just market demand. Mm-hmm. Where were our customers? Yep. And where do you find the best talent? And they're mm-hmm. not always willing to move to North Hollywood. Right. <laughs> and as our customers became, you know, larger and in key markets, and also our partners, meaning Google, mm-hmm. uh, started to invest in more field presence and field coverage. Sure. Like it was fine for us to fly in and fly out when like cloud was new and, you know, there's a high high degree of tolerance for like, oh, this one company in LA is the only one that could do this. So we're going to fly them to yep. New Jersey, right? But as, as it became more mainstream and uh, also Google had a lot more field presence, then, you know, if, if they were in market and we were not, it's like, you're not really serious about New York, Boston, oh, yeah, the local teams Atlanta, get, yeah. or whatever. And, and this is the cultural match yeah. that is really, it's the other piece to this, this is changing is, we don't match that particularly well. I mean, we yeah. our sales teams are as any sales teams are distributed, yeah. so that's pretty easy. Yeah, but yeah, it well, customers important. want to see you, and yep. it, it makes sense, and they don't want to just see me and a couple of people with their carry on bags in the boardroom. Which mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, you're gonna get on a flight and leave in a couple hours, right? So you're not really here. You're not here, here, <laughs> and that's just enterprise software, and and yep. and you know, you, you guys have that too. And we're we're more services and product, which is you know, Google Cloud. Your product company, I think, is more maybe, you know, like where your engineers, where your product development team doesn't really matter as much as it is for consultants or 
project managers. So much, but it's still important. And it's one, you know, it's a growing piece for us. I mean, yeah. we're pretty still, I mean, incorporated 2014. So we're a six-year-old company. Wow. Yeah, it's um, really new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this yeah. is a part that, and a very engineering started company. Right. right? And so uh, this is a process that uh, everyone goes through. So, you know, our sales teams have grown rapidly into each region to make sure mm-hmm. that we are, uh, that we can support that too. And so, yeah, it's part of enterprise sales. It's part of serving a yeah. customer's needs. And for talent, it is a, uh, as Satya Nadella would say, work-life harmony. Not balance because it stipulates a direct trade-off. Let's call it harmony. harmony. Yep. But working in a city where that's where your customers are, that's where your other you know teammates are, so you're not always on a plane if mm. you're a professional with a family and all of that, I think that makes a big difference. Like people it like does. the ability to just... Here's how I'm going to work. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to travel, but mostly like here's where my work is. Yep. Um, so we've seen that be able to attract the type of talent. Otherwise, you know, wouldn't want to come. And we understood that literally as Sada grew up and maybe mm-hmm. I grew up. because <laughs> We all grew up. I was yeah. like in early 20s when I, like these, 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 these things were not top of mind for me at like 25, you know. Well, and some of this wasn't doable <laughs> when you started either. Like and you wouldn't, doable. like the remote level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you couldn't, the amount of remote interaction that's now, that you can now facilitate. It's amazing. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. And and that would have been, you would have paid a productivity uh, tax on it. Big time. Big time. And then uh, now what we're really working on, we're working on a bunch of things because it's really about the people experience. You, you compete for talent. We compete for talent. We're all competing to, in some degree, for the same pool of talent while trying to develop and create more talent in the ecosystem at the same time, mm-hmm. which we're all on this journey together. We're trying to create a balance where we still appreciate having an HQ, we still appreciate having field offices, mm-hmm. but you know, how do we feel um, uh, on our journey to, to make everyone you know, be part of, part of the team all the time? And I think you're right. It is more challenging when you're dealing with both Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that we're paying a lot of attention to these days. And, you know, every year we get a little better at it. And um, I know that we cannot sustain our growth and we cannot address the market need unless we continue to figure this out of what a remote or a highly distributed workforce looks like. At least we're focused on U.S. and Canada for now, which makes it a little easier. But it does. Yeah. It's still a big shift from where we were just like three, four, five years ago. Yep. So we already talked about how you're... Google Doc Shop, you make that abundantly clear in your handbook. And I think, especially in this sort of asynchronous working, documentation heavy um, process that you've deployed culturally, super helpful. Yep. And then you, you come from Google, so maybe there's a little bit of uh, familiarity uh, in that as well. I'm not sure if you brought that in or if it was part of what they were a using already. A lot of it was there already. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot, some some of it is just, I knew all the little tips and tricks. So you jump in and be like, hey, see you guys, here's how you can use it even better. And I was like, that was great. Okay, yeah. add it to the handbook. Yeah. So yeah. yes, but it was somewhat, a good chunk of it was there already. It's a, it's, it's an amazing paradigm of work. And, um, and I don't imagine how, Honestly, I don't imagine how some organizations function without that level of collaboration. It's almost like a foreign concept. Um, but, you know, you've expanded your um, overall relationship with Google. You guys mm-hmm. do a lot with GCP. I remember having those conversations together. Yep. So can you talk about how, what your partnership looks like or your use sure. of GCP looks like for, for GitLab specifically? Yeah. So we, um, we run uh, our SaaS platform on GCP. Um, we made a migration off of it. Uh, we or made... We actually, so as a startup, we went and took the adva- took advantage of 
startup credits on every one of the clouds. Sure. Uh, so I guess if you were like sort of jumping around uh, early on, we uh, we experimented with all the above and we still work with all the above uh, a ton. Uh, but uh, the the SaaS platform we have moved about two years ago, moved from Azure to GCP. Um, and a lot of it had to do with Kubernetes and a lot of it had to do with just excellent infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of in true form of trying to share as we learn, uh, we actually published. And so anyone's welcome to watch yeah. literally the exact migration and step by step of how you do it. There's a, a full issue that's goes on a very long time. So yeah. in fairness, not particularly light reading, yeah. but if you want to know, hey, how to migrate a, a complex application really and the cool. kind of the thinking that goes through with it. Yeah. Uh, and the iterative, we do a very iterative process. So we try, here's what is the migration like. Oh, we hit a, hit a snag. Okay. Go back, change the issue. Okay, keep moving. So, oh, we should definitely post that on on this when we publish this. It's like yes. how GitLab migrated to GCP. We should have that link on the post. The link is great, and the yeah. part though that's what I think most people don't realize is like there's a little. We put it like a clip that's oh here's an issue, and we're like oh look it's a nice smiling issue. No, no, literally it is exactly how you do it. <laughs> right, right, um, exactly. You can see how we built it, where we made mistakes, what we that's changed, awesome. and everything. And so we'll uh, we'll continue to. To, to do that. But. Well, I'm, I'm excited you chose this platform. Yes. Um, obviously, we're, we're biased a little bit and yeah. we're big fans. But um, I think it's all on this sort of journey. And um, again, if you read the handbook, we're trying to figure out it's not a, like, what does this concept of a forever company look like? Mm-hmm. Um, I have competitors who've sold. You guys have competitors I've sold. Mm-hmm. And that's really not my, my, my vision of the story. Like, that's not the narrative that I necessarily want. And it seems yeah. like Sid... And your organization is also on this path of we have something really special. And our vision is not to just be swallowed up by something else. And then who knows what happens, right? Yep. And and you've openly, as an organization, talked about preparing to go public. Yes. And I know some of this is sensitive, so feel free to share as much as you no, like. But I'm, I'm hyper curious about this because hmm. uh, that's definitely, in my mind, one of the ways to continue to exist forever. Yes. In theory. What does that journey look like? I mean, you're VP, you're sitting at the table um, in a lot of these conversations. I'd love to hear hear your perspective. So the, the first one that's interesting is when I arrived, the, the date that we want to go IPO, uh, and I'm hoping I get this, November 18th, 2020, had been set and had been set five years before. Wow. Um, now, this is a <laughs> bit to the, the, the GitLab culture of setting a direction so you can look at where we want to go in five years. Mm-hmm. And we share it with everyone, which I think freaks some people out when they first go like, do you, re- you're going to share your vision with yeah, everyone. Yeah. And I guess it comes to a very simple one. Like we believe it's not your strategy, it's your execution. So there's been a lot of people that have great mm-hmm. strategies, but if you don't execute, True. it's sort of neither here nor there. And if we think everyone can contribute, we have to tell you where you're going. Sure. If we want you on the journey. Definitely. Um, and the IPO is just sort of, I think kind of really an extension of that. We've clearly been a bit blessed. Like the markets have been really good. True. We have had no uh, challenge in finding People that would like to invest, and I mm-hmm. think we've we've executed well. We just hit 100 million ARR, so the cash is there. The customers, most importantly, are there. And mm-hmm. so when we measure that, you can measure a lot of things. Right. I think for us, uh, that number matters because it says, you know, the easiest way to know whether a customer cares is if they want to pay for it. Right. And if they pay for it, what they're saying is this is valuable. And so um, that's kind of on our journey. Uh, we're uh, we're partway through it. So obviously the two natural questions that come up all the time is, hey, do you do a direct listing or um, do you do a traditional IPO? 
And uh, I think there's a lot of really good discussions around this. Uh, yeah. An IPO had been pretty much the default in which, uh, pri- which a private company went. Right. Uh, and there's debates as to there's a few companies that haven't uh, or that have gone different routes. Mm-hmm. Google, I think, went with a, a Dutch auction right mm-hmm. on the bat. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they had to do it like a, Larry right. and Sergey had right. to do it. Yeah, it had to be done different. Yeah, definitely. Um, Slack, I think, also just went. I think you're going to see more, and I can't speak necessarily to us because we're still, there's many reasons, yeah. there's plus and minus in both. But I think there's becoming more and more uh, companies that are looking at a direct listing versus an IPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that generally people look at, and I think this this is, is one that I, so I'm going to speak as me here. I think some of the things I like about a direct listing and something I've loved about the kind of forwards what GitLab's done is, employees first. Mm-hmm. And so all the way through every time that GitLab has raised, we have allowed our employees to participate in that wow. in the secondary every single time. And when that That's was fantastic. shown to me, when I walked yeah. in, I was like, that is how it should be done. Definitely. Uh, and so that probably as we go forward, I think there's a lot to be said about not having a lock in, lock in period and other pieces that go with a direct listing. Mm-hmm. I am not voting in this and I am not <laughs> making participation, but I, yeah. I've studied it quite a bit and we've, we've talked about it. And um, I think there's, there's some people are getting a lot more comfortable with the idea of a direct listing yeah, uh, than had been in the past. And I think that's, um, that's part of any market getting turned sideways. Cause I think it, it changes what has been the traditional role of, uh, of banks in an IPO. Right. Innovation, even in this area, is super interesting. It's still there, yeah. There's still place to innovate, (laughs) even though this is something that for so long was just the way it was done. Now, look, I I think about, you know, and I read a lot of Simon Sinek and, you know, Mm -hmm. Infinite Games, the latest Mm -hmm. uh, thing that's, it's driving a lot of my thinking, but I feel like a lot of it is just expressing the way I feel or have felt for a long time. Putting words to what you've been feeling, yes. And, And I do fear, and I love the fact that, again, to date, you know, we haven't raised a lot of debt or we don't mm-hmm. have equity partners. So we have a lot of independence, yes. which gives us speed and gives us all these things like, like this liberties to, to do things that we don't have to prove to investors that it's the right thing or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Other, n- nor are we being pushed to do anything specific because we don't have investors who need to make a return on their investment and get yep. their money out. So. I do think that, again, a, a great potential platform for a forever company is uh, being being publicly traded. But I, I have fears and I'm wondering if you've thought about this or what the discussion within GitLab is. How do you how do you become a public company yet still get to play the long game and not be driven by like quarterly earnings? And all these mm-hmm. are the things that my understanding is some companies are able to avoid the traps of mm-hmm. short term thinking that, you know, Yep. Uh, the public markets sometimes force on you, but others don't. They just kind of fall into the trap and all of a sudden they're making finite game decisions in an yep. otherwise infinite game. And it's just sort of really a risky proposition. Some of it is setting expectations. I think some companies you'll note, have, I think have done that really well. So mm-hmm. um, in the tech space, some of the best ones have done. Amazon yeah. has done that well. Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce has done that well. Google's done it pretty well. Apple's done it well. Like, hey, you know, if you look at Apple's guidance, like it's it's a mile wide <laughs> and they never make it. And they're like, nope, yeah. that's going to hold to it. Yeah. I think the other piece that will, I suspect will help us because we have published a five-year vision. We have a direction where that expectation is going. Mm-hmm. 
that you know investors or anyone that's involved knows this is what you're signing up for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, you know, Bezos did that pretty well of saying, mm-hmm. don't expect we're going to keep putting this back in. Mm-hmm. And the market adjusted totally. to that. He did deliver. I mean, they delivered. So you need to deliver on. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. And he did on the cash flow. I mean, he said, we're mm-hmm. going to measure on cash flow and we're going to deliver cash flow. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that did well. It does take strong leadership. I think it is very much around. You, you do need some process as you go through that IPO process. There's a process uh, that is healthy as well. Right. And uh, sure. and so I think some of those disciplines, yes, do you get down to managing? You should not manage. You never want to manage earnings. That's not mm-hmm. the point. Can you predict them though? Right. And that's just good in running a business. So you have an idea. That's a lot of what any company in both of our shoes is trying to get really good at too. Yeah. Look, my current mantra in the last couple of years have really been about creating the, you know, the leadership infrastructure, the board infrastructure, the financial diligence infrastructure, inside, outside advisory to like, just do all the things as if we want to. And then that's, if that's the highest standard and that's going to help you run a really well-oiled business from the, from the sort of backend standpoint, that's great. And then um, we should be doing those those things anyway. Like we should have tight financial controls. We should be able to close the books in five days or three days. Like we should, you know, withstand an audit from a big four firm, right? And and come come pretty close. Like we should be doing those things if we're growing this quickly and have these ambitions anyway. And if that sort of puts you some percent, you know, of the way through what what going public would require, great. It just, I think, just opens up more doors. I could have said more. That's our view too. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, you know, I, um, I'm going to be watching closely. <laughs> uh, I really wish uh, wish you the best. Wish Thank GitLab you. the best. Absolutely, we'll be uh, doing a whole lot more. So you're an inspirational fun. organization to watch as an as another sort of private company, and uh, I'm going to be watching the IPO really closely. And Please. I think we're going to learn a lot. And I think it's just sort of the art of the possible of what you're able to achieve. And of course, we're in a different business, but um, it's going to be it's going to be a model. I think for us to, to, to watch and, and to aspire to. Yeah. Well, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to learn a lot as we go. Yeah. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, learn from everyone we get to work with and we're going to make mistakes along the way. And we're going to make those changes as quick as we can yeah. uh, if they need to be made. And there's sometimes we'll make decisions that isn't fully agreed to everyone and we'll explain why and we'll keep moving. Uh, but that's been part of it is uh, it's also an experiment in transparency and, and how everything gets it gets done. And I think that's yeah. been it's been both wonderful, but it is also it is a challenge when the rest of the world can weigh in. Uh, they can add input and they can add great content and they can be amazing. But in fairness, you can also get some noise. And yeah. that's uh, that's an aspect we're learning through as well, because it is a bit of a big experiment. Big experiment. Yes. But, you know, we're so blessed to be in this market in this point in time. We have, an, we have an opportunity to impact a lot of customers, a lot oh, yeah. of people's lives, in fact. And I think that's what's really exciting about this whole software space and cloud. Um, and, you know, we just want to make the best of it by, yeah. by you know, making a forever company that continues on this journey mm-hmm. that um, that we've started. Because I think the the runway is super long. And oh, yeah. just, you know, this is just getting started. Just getting started. We want to be around to impact and influence uh, more of it and more customers and see and, and kind of relish in their success right and i think that's kind of how both of us measure uh, measure our own companies but it's been so great to have you as my first guest in our new studio in your studio 
Great studio. Always good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming down. Of course. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.